0: Hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Please pray with me. Father God, these words here are very, very convicting. And they seem to be very, very hard to put into practice. But Lord, that's why we have your Spirit. He enables us to do what we can't do in our own strength. And so even now as we come to your truth, we we need him to once again draw us closer to you, give us understanding. We can't understand anything about our faith apart from him. It's not because we're smarter or because we know the right things, but it's because the spirit is at work in our hearts, Lord. And so we call upon him to take your preach word, to move the preacher to the side and let him do his thing, bring glory to your name, Lord, bring glory to you. That you will be lifted up in our hearts. That we'll leave here, we'll leave here empowered. We'll leave here knowing you more. Loving you more. And so, Spirit, we pray that you will come and work in our hearts this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48 are just like the other passages in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is once again correcting the misunderstanding, the misinterpretation, the misapplication of the Old Testament law by the religious leaders of his day. He wants to show us and them what a kingdom lifestyle truly looks like in this fallen world. But at the same time, he wants to present us as, as broken people who are in great need of repentance and faith in him. Jesus has already done this when it comes to anger and lust, divorce, oaths, re- retaliation, and this morning he's done the same thing when it comes to extending love. Verses 4, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, "You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy." This phrase here, you will not find this phrase in the Old Testament. You will not. And this phrase simply represents the misunderstanding of the Old Testament when it comes to extending love to other people. It's a misunderstanding. It's a misinterpretation. It's a misapplication. That's, it's not biblical. He says, you have heard that it was said. This stand keeps falling down. Here we go. Here we go. Unless I'm getting shorter. All right. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. This is how love was being extended and withheld within the first century religious environment. They extended love to their neighbors, withheld it from their enemies. I asked myself why. What brought them to this particular conclusion that it was okay to love those that I considered my neighbor and to hate those that I considered my enemy? What could have brought them to that conclusion and thought God was okay with that? See, we read in Leviticus 19 that it says you should not hate your brother in your heart. You shall reason frankly with your neighbor, at least you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or a grudge against the sons of your own people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this law about love, loving your brother, not hating your brother, you know, we see that it's in the Old Testament. And I believe that, the, that these people that were listening to Jesus thought their neighbor only referred to. A fellow Jew. That's what it meant to love my neighbor. Someone who was Jewish. And if he was not a Jew, then you were not my neighbor. That's what they thought the law was referring to. It's love of the Jews. Those are your neighbors. Now, now what does the Old Testament say about the treatment of enemies? Do you know? It talks, about, it talks a lot about enemies. What does it say? First, it says enemies are to be treated with kindness. Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-one says, "If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink." Exodus twenty-three says, "If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey, see your enemy's ox or donkey going astray, you should bring it back to him. Bring it back to him, your enemy." If you see the donkey or the one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. So we see that in the Old Testament, there was a way you treated those that you didn't get along with. You treated them with kindness. But there are other passages in the Old Testament as well that seem to approve of us hating our enemy. Seems to approve that. Now, Seem to approve it. Psalms five five says, "The, both, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You Lord hate all evildoers." Psalm eleven five, "The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked, the one who loves violence." Psalm twenty six, "I do not sit with the men of falsehood." Nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. Psalm thirty-nine, one thirty-nine says, "Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord?" So, which is it? Do I treat my enemy with kindness, or do I hate him? Am I to love my neighbor or hate my enemy? Which is it? Which does the Old Testament promote? You see, even though these verses and these passages talk about judgment upon enemies, the Old Testament never commands us to hate our enemies. You can search the Old Testament verse by verse, and you will not find one that tells you hate your enemy. Now, we can see how these people could have arrived at this view of love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I'm sure they knew these verses that I read because the Old Testament was completed by then. They knew these verses. They read the Psalms that talk about cursing and judgment upon your enemies. I'm sure they read about Israel's conquest of the land and all the enemies they defeated. To them, loving their Jewish brother and hating their enemies seemed to be the right approach. But it was not. There's a disconnect somewhere. Because... They seem to have overlooked those passages that talked about showing kindness to your one's neighbor. A friend of mine posted a funny cartoon drawing on his Facebook page this weekend. And in this cartoon drawing, you have three churchgoers holding up hateful, hateful protesting signs. And on these signs, you'll read, you're going to hell. One person in the cartoon had another sign that says, thank God for dead soldiers. And another person had a sign that said, God hates homosexuals. These three churchgoers were holding up these signs while standing in hell, according to the cartoon, with confused looks on their faces. It was that what had happened look. Why am I here? And seeing these confused looks, the devil approached these three churchgoers and says, as it turns out, God actually hates small-minded fanatics. See, this cartoon illustrates for me a modern practice that that even in our time, the church still loves their neighbor and hates their enemy. Some Christians today still live by this. Watch how some believers act when it gets closer to November. Watch. Watch how they act toward one another. You know what happens in November. Watch what happens. Love for those who have the same politics as me. But hate. Demonify those that do not. Watch. How are you going to act? How are you going to act? How am I going to act? am going to tell you the gospel gets put on the shelf in November. And it's all about winning. Watch. And I'm talking to both sides here. I'm going to have a dog in that fight. The Lord has commissioned his church to do many things but to be instruments of his judgment is not one of them. The Lord has commissioned the church for many things, but to be instruments of his judgment is not one of them. The parts of the Bible that talks about judgment upon enemies is directed to the Lord, for he is the judge, not the church. We don't sit on the judgment seat. We don't. And when, if you're ever holding up signs that communicate hate, that's you've been judged. That belongs to the Lord. He is the one who judges, not us. One pastor says, believers hate violence and wickedness. And some people give themselves over to such sin, and they are properly called the violent or wicked. The Bible never commands us to hate individual enemies. Now, there is a place for righteous wrath toward God's settled enemies. And on Judgment Day, his patience will end with them. However, in daily life, we have no right to adopt the eternal perspective. Why? We cannot classify people. The man standing before you may be wicked, but we do not know whether he will repent or not. Think about Paul. Was he an enemy of the church? Yes. He he rejoiced when Stephen was stoned to death. He he found pleasure in that. He was an enemy who became an apostle. So you don't know. I don't know. So this phrase of loving your neighbor and hating your enemy is really a distortion of what it truly means to love other people. And Jesus corrects it in verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. With these strong words and commanding words, Jesus, he brings to the surface these, their misunderstanding and even ours. He turns their view upside down. Is he written in the Old Testament? No. He's simply correcting the people's view of what it means to love another person. He's correcting their misunderstanding of who is truly your neighbor. He is correcting the un- misunderstanding of how you to treat one's enemy. Of all the things Jesus has said so far, this right here is, 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 is the hardest to hear <laughs> to me. It's the most challenging and the most convicting. Because with these words, he's letting us know the person who is actually your enemy is actually your neighbor as well. That's your neighbor as well. And you're to extend love to that person. The neighbor who lets his dog poops in your yard and they don't clean up is your neighbor. And you are to love that person. Love them. Is it easy? No, because you want to kick the dog. <laughs> that, that, I have a neighbor like that. so <laughs> Love them to the point that you will pray for them. If they persecute you, and hate on you. I know what you're thinking. You say, Alex, that sounds good in theory. Sounds good, but the thought of applying this in real-life situations, man, it's just daunting. And many times we don't because an enemy, someone who truly doesn't like you, they don't accidentally cause you harm. They intend it to, intended to hurt you, intended, intended to see ill upon you, wish ill upon you, and maybe even rejoices when it happens. And Jesus is commanding us to love that person and not in a superficial way either. When the Bible talks about love, it doesn't talk about it in a way that it gives lip service to it. Yeah, I love you, man. Yeah. It never talks about love superficially. It's loving someone from the heart and as well with your actions. It's extending a selfless love even toward your enemies who are also your neighbors. Remember what I said. Jesus wants us to extend love to our neighbors that is kind and patient. A love that is not envious or boastful. A love that is not arrogant or rude. A love that does not insist on its own. A love that is not irritable or resentful. A love that does not rejoices at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. A love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. A love that never ends, even when it's been applied to a person that is hurting you. On the commandments to love God and to love your neighbor depends all the law and the prophets with that one command. Love God and love people, which also includes your enemies. Hard to do. Think about Jesus' parable of the good Samaritan. It's a picture of what it looks like to extend love to your enemy. The Samaritan and Jews didn't like each other. They didn't. And I'm putting it mildly that way. They didn't like each other. And in this parable, you see a Samaritan coming to the aid of a Jewish man who was beat up and left for dead. He, did he walk by? No, he didn't walk by. He aided him. He nursed him and made sure he was taken care of. That's what it means to love someone who you consider an enemy. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give, her, give him food to drink, water to drink. I know these are challenging words, man, convicting words. And in those moments of deep thought, I know we say, why should we love this way? Why? Why should we extend love to our enemies, to the person who just betrayed me, to the person who just stabbed me in the back? Why should I go back and love that person? Should I just write them off? He tells us in verses 45 through 47 why we should love this way. So that you may be sons of your father who is, who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The reason we love our enemies because there will be a a reflection of your Father who is in heaven. That's why. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What does that mean? Is Jesus now saying we got to labor hard to be perfect in this life? No. You have to see these words here as both a command and a promise. He's saying you shall be perfect, which, which forces us to also see that this is also talking about something that's in the future as well. As a command, we strive and should desire to be like our Father, to love like our Father, like Father, like Son, or Daughter, right? But as a promise, we take these words to mean that we shall be and are being transformed more and more into the image of our Father by the power of the Spirit, who in return empowers us to love our enemies. There's things going on here. The Spirit is always behind the scenes. You've got to know that. There's something empowering you to do what you can't do in your own strength. And that's the Holy Spirit, people. That's the Holy Spirit. So you, ain't, you can not need to leave me here today saying, well, I'm going to love my coworker tomorrow. Yes, I'm gonna love her. No, your prayer is, Lord, I repent for not loving her. Give me the power to extend love. Give me the power to extend love. And you know what that means? When you don't love the person, if the spirit is at work in your life, you, be, you should be willing to go and ask forgiveness to that person whenever you sin against them. That's showing love as well. That's extending love as well. You see, for God himself demonstrates love to his enemies. His sun rises on the evil and on the good. His rain, he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Think about this. There's a common grace that God extends to every person. Every person. Why do you think non-Christians can have good marriages? Why? Why? Because they still create an image of God. They are. Even though they don't know him, they still are benefiting of that. They benefit of his goodness. And so, and so those individuals, you know, the, the people that we think are enemies, those who are not Christians, the, the people that we hate on, are still creating in God's image. It's broken, yes, but they're still his creation. And Jesus is calling us to extend love to those folks because of that. Don't love like the world loves. A tax collector, a lot like Gentiles. See the image of God in your enemy. He or she is still God's creation. We are, we are not to love like the world. We are to love like our Father loves. We are not to treat our enemies with contempt, but we treat them with sincere love in both word and deed. Now, this is not love without discipline. This is not love without justice. This is not love without holding people accountable See, love includes all of those things. But at the same time, it includes you seeing your enemy through the lenses of the gospel, not through lenses of the world. And if you see your enemy through the lenses of the gospel, you see them as redeemable enemies because that's what you were before you became a believer, a redeemable enemy. That's who all of us were before we became a believer. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his own love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You were who you hate in the other person before Jesus redeemed you. The problem is, is we forget that. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Think about that. Let those words grab hold of your heart. Because as you embrace that love he has for you, then you will extend it to other people, including your enemies. As one Christian said, God knew how to hate what we had done, our sin, and to love what he had done in creating us. God knew how to hate what we had done, that's our sin, and to love what he had done in creating us. Therefore, to love our enemies is to live like a child of God. That's a fruit of grace in your life. You will love like your father loves. Let us pray. Father God, we can't leave here with a to-do list of how we're going to do these things. We simply, Lord, if we're convicted, repent and ask your spirit to help us to love those individuals in our life that, is, that are hard to love, not because we're trying to earn righteousness, but because of who we already are in Christ, that we are different. We don't love superficially. The Lord, your spirit empowers with a biblical view of love to extend that love to the neighbor that is hard to love, the coworker that is hard to love, the church member that is hard to love or whoever in our lives that we consider to be our enemy. Help us to see that person through the lens of the gospel that that person is still redeemable, and that person is what we used to be. And so, Lord, because of who we already are in you, empower us to live for you as well. I pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service?